Hi, I'm Philip Anthony Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 220. Before we start, I'd like to thank Tyler Novak for liking The Week in Doubt Facebook page. Thanks, man. I'd also like to thank my friend Todd Fay, a musician and blogger, also known simply as Fay, P-H-A-E, uh, for spreading the word about the show. All right. So the last few episodes were fairly time-consuming to create. They involved a lot of research and were heavily scripted. So I've decided to give myself a break this week. I've got myself a big glass of rum and coke here, and I'm just going to kind of kick back and uh, riff on some news stories. So I guess firstly, I might as well give my thoughts on the big news story of the day, the inauguration of Trump. And for some reason, I just keep thinking of the inauguration of the worm from Marilyn Manson's Antichrist Superstar album, uh, still by far my favorite Manson album. But anyway, now I'm one of those people who's still trying to come to grips with the fact that Donald Trump actually won the election. So I did plan on watching the inauguration, and as I said half-jokingly on Facebook, I basically gave up watching cable news just because I find the incessant flow of Trump coverage to be too depressing. Prior to the election, I had actually been something of a cable news junkie. Now I'm getting most of my news primarily online, where I can choose to quickly skip over any articles having to do with the orange one. I don't even know if I should bother, but just in case you're new to the show, maybe I should explain what it is exactly that I don't like about Donald Trump. Just so you don't think that I'm some lockstep bandwagon lefty. I am admittedly left-leaning, but I like to think of myself as politically independent without any fealty or allegiance to any particular political party. I just try to be a decent person and let my reason take me where it may. To be honest, before he entered politics, I used to actually enjoy Donald Trump as a quote-unquote entertainer, as a garish self-promoter, and a reality TV star. But my opinion of him quickly plummeted when he began championing the birther movement. And as I've said before on the show, even if you choose to ignore all the evidence supporting the fact that Barack Obama was born in this country and choose instead to embrace the conspiracy theory that he was born overseas. His mother, nevertheless, was still a U.S.-born citizen, making Barack Obama also a, a citizen by default. So other than trying to delegitimize or discredit Barack Obama personally, or stirring up distrust, suspicion, and xenophobia, I don't even know what the hell the point of the birther movement even was. It certainly wasn't a movement supported by or based on evidence or logical argument. So that was one strike against him in my book. Uh, next, and I really thought this one would disqualify him for sure, due to how much the American right seems to like to wrap itself in the flag and claim to support the troops, he insulted Senator John McCain, calling into question his status as a war hero, he basically said, paraphrasing, that McCain really wasn't a war hero because he allowed himself to be captured and that he liked people who didn't let themselves be captured. So he basically painted being a prisoner of war as something to be ashamed of. I can't think of anything worse you could say to the right-wing electorate, and yet he was miraculously given a pass, the first of many. 
And of course, it's not just people on the right who respect and support the troops. People of all political affiliations have a sense of patriotism in that regard, many having servicemen and women in their own families. Now, whatever you think of John McCain and his politics, I know he can be something of a curmudgeon. Uh, let us not forget that he displayed a remarkable degree of character and, and integrity during his captivity. His captors presented him with uh, multiple opportunities to go free, but he refused, not wanting to leave his comrades behind or receive special treatment, possibly in part due to his father's status as an admiral. So questioning the guy's status as a war hero, a particularly low thing to do in my opinion, especially coming from someone like Trump who received something like four deferments. I've never served in the military either, but at least I have the decency to respect the service of those that have. So that was another strike, and just to speed things up, the other things I don't like about him include his tendency to embellish, if not downright lie, his oversimplistic, almost childlike demeanor, how thin-skinned he is, tweeting at perceived enemies into the wee hours of the night, and of course his alleged treatment of women— and in regard to that Entertainment Tonight tape or whatever it was, uh, where he speaks to Billy Bush about grabbing women by a certain part of the anatomy, as I said before, I have an extremely inappropriate sense of humor, and I have both male and female friends who, along with myself, can be incredibly raunchy. But that being said, I don't know anyone I hang out with who thinks it's all right to go up to a stranger and grab them sexually out of nowhere without permission. Was Trump joking? I don't know. Uh, it kind of seemed to me and many others, I think, that he was being serious. That his modus operandi was to pop some Tic Tacs and just kiss and grab strangers. And I'm not talking about when there's a chemistry between you and someone else and you're mutually attracted to one another. I'm talking about going up to someone you don't know and grabbing them because you think or feel you're entitled. And of course, many stories and accusations against Trump came pouring out, which seemed to depict him as following that same modus operandi, grabbing and cornering women, kissing them out of nowhere. But fairness, as far as I know, those at this point are still just allegations and have yet to be proven one way or another in a court of law. But those are basically my issues with Donald Trump. If you're pro-Trump, you might argue that he was the lesser evil, but I don't agree. Now, my take on Hillary is rather confused and complicated. I'm definitely not her biggest fan, but I definitely found myself rooting for her on election night when the possibility of a Trump win was becoming all too evident. But I at least would have rather have seen Bernie or even one of the more fringe third-party candidates in office over Trump. But it's all moot now. Here we are, unfortunately. Now we just have to hope that he doesn't do too much damage. So I had decided to try to abstain from watching the inauguration, but I caught some of the pre-inaugural festivities the night before, particularly Three Doors Down performing Kryptonite. And Kryptonite is one of those songs uh, that you know you find extremely annoying, and yet it's catchy enough to stick in your head, and you end up walking around feeling violated and ashamed somehow, having this song you don't even like trapped inside your noggin echoing around. Uh, so I found myself staring at the TV, thinking, oh shit, three doors down. Why couldn't it have just been The Doors, my favorite band? Well, uh, alright, Jim and Ray are dead, that poses a bit of a problem. So today, Inauguration Day, as I'm recording this, once again, I tried to avoid the coverage, 
but I gave in and watched a special live stream the drunken peasants were doing on YouTube, and I felt like it offered a kind of protective filter or medium through which to view the inauguration, kind of like viewing the sun through a pinhole camera. I, th <laughs> I think the thing that, man, I think the rum and coke's kicking in. I think the thing that jumped out at me, as well as others, is the extent to which religion played a role in the inauguration. According to a New York Times article, there was a record number of religious speakers. According to that article, most inaugurations will have maybe one religious speaker, perhaps two or three at the most. Trump's had six. There was the Archbishop of New York, Cardinal Timothy Dolan. Then there was Reverend Samuel Rodriguez. Um, there was also prosperity gospel preacher, Pastor Paula White. Uh, Rabbi Marvin, is it Hire or Hare? Uh, the infamous Franklin Graham and Bishop Wayne T. Jackson. I will say in fairness to Trump that given the rise in online anti-Semitism that we've been seeing since Trump's election, I think it was a, a good gesture that if you are going to have all these religious speakers to at least include a rabbi, will that make a difference to Trump's more bigoted supporters? I don't know. Uh, the fact that his son-in-law is Jewish, um, who I think Trump has great affection for and keeps as part of his inner circle, uh, that hasn't seemed to diminish any of the online anti-Semitism. So, but I guess whether Trump was doing it for Machiavellian reasons or his heart was really in the right place, I think it was still a, a good gesture. Now, Trump's speech and his remarks were also peppered with religious language. At one point, he said something like, most importantly, quote unquote, we will be protected by God. And one of the drunken peasants made a good point. They said something to the effect of, uh, where was God's protection during the attack on Pearl Harbor or on 9-11? And I think the Amazing Atheist then made some kind of joke about God snoozing away uh, at his desk every once in a while. <laughs> and there really is something kind of disturbingly juvenile about that thinking. Don't worry, everyone. Daddy Trump said God's looking after us. Uh, but enough about Trump. There was another story that caught my attention earlier in the week. Unfortunately, it's yet another depressing story about ISIS or the Islamic State destroying history. It should go without saying that by covering this story, it's not that I'm trying to imply that artifacts or monuments are more important than innocent human life. Quite the contrary. I am outraged and disgusted when I hear stories about ISIS keeping women as sex slaves or beheading journalists or throwing gay people off of buildings. But as someone with a love of ancient history, I'm also deeply bothered by these stories about these backwards extremists essentially erasing history. So I'll read a bit from a Huffington Post article. It's entitled, Islamic State Destroys One of the Most Famous Monuments in Ancient Syrian City of Palmyra. And it's dated January 20th. Damascus, Beirut, and this is from Reuters, Islamic State militants have destroyed one of the most famous monuments in the ancient city of Palmyra, the Tetrapylon, and the facade of its Roman theater. Syrian Antiquities Chief Mamoun Abdul Karim told Reuters on Friday, the Syrian government lost control of Palmyra to the Islamic State in December, the second time the jihadist group had overrun the UNESCO World Heritage Site in the six-year-long Syrian conflict. The tetrapylon marking a slight bend along Palmyra's Grand Colonnade 
comprises a square stone platform with matching structures of four columns positioned at each of its corners. Satellite imagery sent by Abdul Karim to Reuters showed it largely destroyed with only four of the 16 columns still standing and the stone platform apparently covered in rubble. The imagery also showed extensive damage at the Roman theater, with several towering stone structures destroyed on the stage. Just last May, a famous Russian orchestra performed at the theater after Palmyra was first won back from the Islamic State. Abdul Karim said if the Islamic State remained in control of Palmyra, it means more destruction. He said the destruction took place sometime between December 26th and January 10th, according to the satellite imagery of the site. The Islamic State had previously captured Palmyra in 2015. It held the city for 10 months until Syrian government forces backed by Allied militia and Russian air power managed to drive them out last March. During its previous spell and control of Palmyra, the Islamic State destroyed other monuments there, including its 1,800-year-old monumental arch. Palmyra, known in Arabic as Tadmur, stood at the crossroads of the ancient world. The Islamic State put 12 people to death in Palmyra earlier this week, some of them execution-style in the Roman theater. Russia marked the capture of Palmyra from the Islamic State by sending the Marinsky Theater to perform a surprise concert, highlighting the Kremlin's role in winning back the city. The concert held just over a month after Russian airstrikes helped push Islamic State militants out of Palmyra, saw Valery Gergiev, a close associate of President Vladimir Putin, conduct the Marinsky Orchestra. The Islamic State swept into Palmyra again in December when the Syrian army and its allies were focused on dealing a final blow to rebels in the city of Aleppo. Eastern Aleppo fell to the government later that month. Yeah, so, I mean, depressing. I mean, ISIS, man, if they're not killing innocent people, they're destroying cultural artifacts. Wow, so I'm only about 14 minutes in. I expected these two stories to take up a lot more time. Uh, maybe I'll just do one more fun little thing. It will never happen, but it, it's fun to pretend and fantasize. I, I was wondering if I was ever elected president, you know, who would I choose to perform at my inauguration and speak, etc. I'm thinking, as far as musicians go, musical acts, PJ Harvey, um, maybe a reunion of the original Misfits, uh, Swedish band Ghost, that would be awesome. Uh, maybe I would get up and jam with the two surviving members of The Doors. Uh, who else? Let's see. Well, maybe that would be it for the musical uh, acts. Who would speak? Well, I'm an atheist, so maybe uh, if he's still alive at the time, who knows? Uh, it, even though it's hypothetical and, and fantasy-based, it probably wouldn't be for some time till I was elected. If, if Richard Dawkins is still alive in this alternate future, then Richard Dawkins could uh, possibly speak. Hey, why we're at it, and it's fantasy, why not uh, Sam Harris, too? Let's see, uh, maybe I would have John Corbett, the actor who played Chris in the Morning on Northern Exposure, read some of his philosophical tangents from, uh, <laughs> from his role as, uh, as Chris in the Morning. And speaking of that, remember I was supposed to have a regular segment, I think um, cringe-inducingly entitled Phil in the Morning, uh, fill in the morning. That was weird. Where, uh, where, um, I read excerpts from Chris in the Morning, Love Life, and the whole karmic enchilada. And I think I only got around to doing it once. Okay, yeah, so I'm gonna read one. And I think it has to do with hunting. 
Uh, I wonder if it's from the episode where uh, they take Joel, Dr. Joel Fleischman, Rob Morrow's character, hunting for the first time, and he gets this incredible uh, feeling of guilt from having uh, killed a bird, I think it was. Um, but here's the description. The human experience, curiosity means change, and change means evolution. And harmony, as Chris well knows, means being in touch with our carnivore-slash-predator past. Now here's, uh, I think these are Chris's words. Not for nothing, we're given these incisors. They're for tearing into meat, blood dripping off the fangs. And you know, it's good to kill meat before you eat it, otherwise it tends to scream. Take the Nazca Indians. They believe to this day the destruction of their people came from eating domestic instead of wild animals. We may be 400 generations removed from the African Pliocene, when we left home in the morning with spears in our hands, but there's no better antidote for our current domestication than to stalk some wild beast throughout the tall timber. Plus, bottom line, it's a gas. Wild bird creature of the air and feather, today is a good day to die. In dying we are trying, and in trying we are both forgiven. Man becomes the food of the divinity he worships. There's a dark side to each and every human soul. We wish we were Obi-Wan Kenobi, and for the most part we are, but there's a little Darth Vader in all of us. Thing is, this ain't no either-or proposition. We're talking about dialectics, the good and the bad merging into us. You can run, but you can't hide. My experience? Face the darkness. Stare it down. Own it. As Brother Nietzsche, or Nietzsche, tomato, tomato, said, being human is a complicated gig. Give that old dark night of the soul a hug. How the eternal yes. All right, pretty good, pretty good. I feel good about myself just having finally read another excerpt from that book because it was supposed to be an ongoing segment. I don't know if you guys dig it or not. Uh, yeah, I'm an atheist and this show is um, primarily for other non-believers, although I invite everyone to listen. And I know Northern Exposure has kind of a metaphysical bent, but I still dig it, man. Hopefully you guys dig it too. Uh, with that, I'll call the show a wrap. And uh, you guys know the drill, Facebook, YouTube, um, Twitter. You can subscribe to the show using iTunes. You can also subscribe to the show via Podbean. Uh, if you want to support the show monetarily, you can use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that famous alliteration. Um, or you can go to patreon.com slash the week in doubt and support the show for as little as 99 cents a month and quit anytime you want. All right, brothers and sisters, uh, until next week.